Uh, one of you this week, we'll be in Joshua 9 here in a bit, and 9 and 10, but one of you this week posted on Facebook, not one of you, but one of our own, posted something, uh, an alert uh, online scam. He was trying to sell something and, and did, luckily didn't fall into it, but, but almost uh, did. And I, I was trying to sell a car, one of our, our, our cars earlier this year, got a, bought an ad online somewhere and same thing. Uh, somebody wrote me an email, and I wrote back, and then another email, and then it started getting a little fishy sounding. I said, I said, you know, there are scams going on online and some fraud, and I, I don't want to do it that way. I need to do the sale this way. Didn't hear anything else from that person. End of discussion. But tonight we're going we're gonna to look at a, a scam, not an online scam, but an old-fashioned scam in the book of Joshua. And it's just kind of nice to know that... Uh, Really good people sometimes make mistakes. In this case, Joshua himself was actually involved in, in really not the best decision. And so along the way, we know this. We have some highlight real moments. We do some things right and maybe some things that we'd like to take back. We'd like a mulligan. We'd like a do-over. This is probably one of those tonight. Um, so quick review. They've crossed the Jordan River by the power of God. And remember that, that was a few weeks ago we talked about that. The, the, the priests literally had to step into the water this time before God heaped those waters up. Um, so it really was kind of a step of faith uh, that we talked about during that crossing of the Jordan River. And uh, then Jericho, which we love the story, we love the circling, we love the walls falling down. But, <laughs> I mean... That's a pretty weird set of instructions the Lord gave to uh, Joshua and the priests and uh, the army, uh, pr- and, and weird and weirdly specific. Okay, one time around, six days, seven times around, and blow the trumpets, and I mean, just really uh, specific instructions that you would not expect to find in any sort of military strategy or battle plan. It was really all about showing. Uh, the people, you're going to have a victory, and you have nothing to do with this victory. This is all God. Uh, and then we got to um, AI, a defeat. We uncover there was a sin after Jericho where Achan stole a bunch of stuff, but he kept some spoils of war that he was not supposed to keep, uh, covered it up. Family was probably involved in that because they were all sleeping in the tent, which had this pile of loot underneath uh, some rugs there in the tent. And it was a story about taking God's word seriously, I think. And then tonight is this strange story. And, and, and again, this is the kind of story that you would not expect to find if this were made up. If this were a fictional account, you just wouldn't put this really peculiar story in there and so it kind of enhances I think the credibility of the book of Joshua so heading west from Jericho you come uh, you go up I mean Jericho is very very low (laughs) very low maybe a hundred feet above sea level I'm guessing on that but but really low and you go up and you come into Ai it's a much smaller city Uh, they took that you continue West, and you will come to the city of Gibeon and really several towns that were controlled by the Gibeonites. And I'm going to applaud these people, the people of Gibeon, for one thing. I mean, they put on a scam, 
but they really did their homework. They really put work into this sting, into this scam. Um, they knew the Israelites were coming, and they, have, they had heard of how these people have flattened Jericho, these people have flattened Ai, and now they're headed toward our town. And also they had used some intelligence gathering, pretty impressive really, to learn some of the history of these 12 tribes. I would say quite a bit of the history, at least recent history, last hundred years of these 12 tribes. And I'm not going to say that these folks, the Gibeonites and, and those people that they were allied with, that they were believers, but they certainly had come to believe that Israel was being aided by, let's just say, a higher power or a small g, God. They, they believed that there was a God, there was a force connected with these people, and they recognized that makes them particularly difficult to deal with. I don't think they understood this is Almighty God, this is Yahweh, but they knew there was a God at work here. And we can see that they had done their homework um, from the time they sent a delegation the short distance to meet Joshua and the leaders of Israel at a place called Gilgal. So there is this delegation from Gibeon. They show up. Their town is probably 20 miles, 25, 30 miles. It's not a long distance from Ai. And so they haven't come far, but they look like they've come a long distance. I mean, when they show up, they are haggard, they are dirty, uh, their clothes are worn out. They look like they've just finished a thousand-mile journey. They look spent. Spoiler alert, this is all a scam, okay? So they show up, and their donkeys are loaded up with old threadbare sacks hanging over the sides of the donkeys, worn out crusty, cracked wineskins. The men look, okay, they look like homeless guys. That's how they look. Um, they are dirty. They're grimy. The sandals that they're wearing have holes in the bottom. Their clothing is kind of starting to rip and fall apart. Um, they wouldn't even put this stuff on the rack at Goodwill, okay? Uh, the food they carried with them is dry, it's moldy, a little bit smelly, getting a little bit gamey, a little bit rotten. Um, and they are, <laughs> these guys, these Gibeonites, are ready to deliver truly an Academy Award winning performance as they arrive at the encampment of Israel. So they stroll up to the camp there at Gilgal and they announce... We are here to make peace with you. We would like to sign a treaty between our two peoples. We have traveled from a distant land. And we have heard of your renown. We are so impressed with you, Israel. Uh, we know of your exodus. They've done their homework. We know of your exodus from Egypt. How Pharaoh relented, released you. We know how God brought you... Uh, delivered you this amazing um, victory there. Uh, and basically, they go into this list of the military history of, of Israel, the recent military history 
Uh, not just Jericho, even back before that on the other side of the Jordan River, Amorites and people like that. And they, they, they go through these engagements that Israel had, had won. And uh, like I said, they really, they knew their stuff, okay? Now Joshua and the leadership of Israel... They ask, I mean, how do we know that you're really from far away? How do we know that you don't live here in what we consider the promised land? I mean, these lands around here have been pledged to our forefather Abraham centuries ago. They belong to us now. We are going to claim them. How do we know you don't live around here? We can't be signing accords with people who live in our promised land, okay? Uh, We have to expel or destroy those people. So the folks from Gibeon say, check us out. I mean, look, see for yourself. There's plenty of evidence here to examine, visual proof that our lands are far away. Our stocks of food are old, crusty, rotten, our clothing falling apart, our stuff was fresh. You know, we look great when we left home. Uh, But that's been a long time, months and months of journey. So our sandals, our clothes, you know, we look like we were dressed for prom when we left our lands, but now we're pretty well worn out uh, after this arduous journey. Now, the men of Israel examine this evidence, and they feel sure, they feel certain enough that the folks from Gibeon really must have traveled a long ways. Uh, their cities must surely be outside of the borders of the promised land. So, okay, they ink this peace treaty. Uh, Joshua draws it up. The leaders of Israel swear an oath. That's what you did back then. Swear an oath in the name of God, uh, pledging that you will live in peace with these people, with the Gibeonites and these other towns. And I don't know how much time transpired, uh, but the ink was hardly dry. It wasn't long. Uh, before Israel continued its journey westward, and they arrive at the towns of... Wait! What? A, you know, hold on a second. They arrive at the towns of Gibeon. They arrive at the towns of Keprephah, of Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. These are the same people we signed the treaty with. They're recognizing some faces. We just signed an oath with you guys, didn't we? Yeah. Suckers. So guess what? The people of Israel who were not involved in signing this accord, I mean, they're just the people, the general populace, um, they are not happy with their political leadership at this point. Uh, The approval rating of Joshua and the other tribal leaders uh, takes a dive here. The people are thinking, I mean, how gullible are we? How gullible are our leaders to be duped by these hill people? Um, seriously, guys, you've signed a peace treaty with these towns. I mean, if you look at a map right in the middle of Israel, okay? Um, <laughs> I mean, these are the next towns in our battle plans. These are the next dominoes that are supposed to fall. So now what? They're in a tight spot, they were scammed. They, they, they signed a peace treaty under false pretenses, but they did swear oaths. They did invoke the name of God. 
as they promise to live at peace with these people. Um, So the folks are not happy with their leaders, and they had every right to be unhappy. Joshua chapter 9, verse 18, the whole assembly grumbled against their leaders. Like I said, the details of this account, they're just too odd, too peculiar to be invented or contrived. Um, This kind of stuff really does uh, lend credibility to the stories that we have in Joshua. And the moral of the story, I mean, we get the moral of the story. It actually tells us at one point, uh, is that God's people are to walk by faith. We are to consult the Lord when we make decisions. Uh, We're to do that, trust God more than we trust our own intuition, our own judgment, or in this case, uh, our own eyes. So literally, walking by faith, not by sight in this case. Now, if they had stopped, if they had prayed, if they had talked to God about this, um, if they had leaned not on their own understanding, but on the Lord, they would have seen through the ruse, okay? So chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Yep, it's rotten. It's moldy. Your claims check out. And then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Okay. They did not consult the Lord. They did not consult the Lord. It's a good story. And that makes me think, how about me? How about you? How do we do at consulting the Lord? Do we walk by faith or do we walk by sight? Um, Certainly God has given us eyes to see. God has given us brains to think. But do we lean on him more than we trust our own line of sight? And I'm not saying, look, and I don't think this text is saying that next time you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, you need to consult the Lord Value meal number four or value meal number two? Lord, show me the way. I don't think you need to do that. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Um, The story doesn't say that you need to pray through every detail of your life. If you do, you will never do anything. Okay? Um, Joshua 9, what's happening is that Israel fails to cry out to God, fails to consult the Lord on a pretty big decision, don't they? A decision that really should have been vetted spiritually as well as with their eyes. Signing a peace treaty, a lasting accord, a decision that will affect them and their kids and their generations to come. Um, And no one thought to to take a knee. No one thought to pray through this. So a little segue, but I think it's kind of related. I was reading this week an article about elite athletes and one of the qualities that the top, I mean top, top, top level athletes have in common. And the common characteristic is these very top one percenter athletes are highly coachable. And the article went through a couple of examples. One of them was a guy you probably heard of, Aaron Rodgers, pretty good, Super Bowl ring league MVP in the NFL, um, he still wants to be coached. 
He said, I love being coached. I love talking football with smart coaches. I love the input, the dialogue, the conversation. And the team's head coach, Mike McCarthy, added, Aaron is a really good student. He wants to be coached. He likes to be coached hard. So he wants to be, that's, that's not the way you do it, man. I mean, you've got to change that footwork. You've got to change your release. You gotta, he wants to be coached hard. How about, how about Steph Curry? You guys like Steph Curry? He's fun to watch. He's got a couple championships under his belt, league MVP as well. Same kind of attitude. One of his coaches said he is the most educable. Yeah, that's the word they use. Educable, that's a word? Sound right? Yeah? Okay. He is the, <laughs> I'm getting a few head nods. He is the most educable player I've ever known, both in terms of his willingness to listen and his ability to absorb and execute. Now, I share this um, because walking by faith, not by sight, involves this. It involves being coachable. It involves not being a closed system where I have all the answers, but being an open system. I'm looking for answers specifically from the Lord or from godly people who I've given permission to speak into my life. It means we don't just rely on our own intuition, our own insights. Um, And so God wants to coach us. I mean, that word disciple, I think you could translate as being someone who is being constantly coached by the Lord. Now, obviously, this is more than a player-coach relationship. This is a lot more that we're talking about. Um, But we need to lean on his instruction. We need to lean on his direction, and he gives us plenty of that. Um, So it involves, in particular situations, being habitually, regularly uh, tied into, when it comes to these decision points, asking the Lord, being coached. And so inquiring of the Lord, consulting the Lord is what the text says tonight. And the story, it turns out fine. No lives are lost here. This, this thing works out just fine. Because Joshua, I mean, this is what good leaders do. When they mess up, they make strong comebacks. And he comes up with a pretty good plan. And it's a God-honoring plan to kind of get, not really get out of the mess, but at least minimize the mess. So yes, they have sworn this pre- peace treaty. Yes, they've made an oath. Yes, they need to live at peace with these Gibeonites. Um, Joshua understands if, if we break this, if we just tear this up and throw it away, God will curse us. Um, so we won't harm these people. Uh, but since we were deceived by them, Joshua comes up with a compromise that honors the pledge but gives them a path forward where these lands are still going to be their lands. Um, essentially, I would call this the water boy plan. Okay, we'll live at peace with you. You're going to be our water boys for generations to come. So Joshua, chapter 9, verses 22 to 27. Joshua called together the Gibeonites and said, Why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you live right here among us? May you be cursed. From now on, you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. They replied, we did it. And this is a pretty good response. 
Got to give it to him. We did it because uh, we, your servants, were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you the entire land and to destroy all the people living in it. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you. That is why we have done this. Now we are at your mercy. Do to us whatever you think is right. So Joshua did not allow the, pe- the people of Israel to kill them. Sounds like there were some folks that kind of wanted to. So Joshua didn't let anybody kill them. But that day he made the Gibeonites the woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the, walter, uh, the altar of the Lord, uh, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. And that is what they do to this day. Worked out okay. To inquire of the Lord. In Joshua chapter 9, that would most likely have meant Joshua, the leader, getting on his knees and praying to God and asking about this specific situation. Lord, what do you want us to do? And very likely, he would have gotten an audible answer. He would have literally heard from the Lord um, speaking to him. Uh, Maybe, if not that, it would have involved casting lots or something. For you and I, what does it look like? I mean, do I just pray and there's an audible voice from heaven that says, no, don't take the job in Omaha, or no, don't order the number four today, order the number two today. Is that, no, we know that's not the way it works. Um, Prayer is a big part of inquiring of the Lord. But we're not generally going to get this kind of audible answer that perhaps Joshua would expect. At the same time, we do have a lot of God-given coaching available to us if we'll consult, in other words, ask the right questions, okay? So, and this is, by the way, big disclaimer, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, um, but I think there are some pretty basic filters and nothing probably terribly new tonight, but some filters that we can use to run decisions through and see if they hold up, um, ways that we can consult the Lord. Obviously, um, we would start with the Bible, okay? Um, The filter of revelation. By the way, we have access to uh, the Word of God in a much more comprehensive way than Joshua would have. For starters, we have a lot of more of it, including the ultimate revelation of God himself in the form of Jesus. Um, We have that. Uh, We have, uh, and we're not carrying around armfuls of of scrolls, right? I mean, we have, I mean, much more practical access to the Word of God um, on our phones or in the Bibles we carry around. Um, We also have the Holy Spirit who's been given to us to guide us and illuminate us. Um, so the first thing I would say is revelation, clearly, which, uh, you know, when I'm looking at choices and decisions, which decision is most in harmony with what the Bible says, um, or is, the, is this choice the one that seems most consistent with what I see in Scripture? And, of course, that means I've got to know the Word of God. It's only useful if I know it. Um, your word, David said, Psalm 119.105, you've heard this before. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Beautiful poetry, metaphor. Basically, your word illuminates the way forward. 
shines a light on different options, on different pathways, shows me the best way to go. So David says, it's your word. It's, it's the Bible is what he's talking about all through Psalm 119. And he says, the Bible is your word, God. Scripture, that's your voice speaking into my life. And, uh, and it makes things clear. So inquiring with the Lord, um, there's also the filter of character or the filter of integrity. And I would look particularly back on the story of Achan a few weeks ago. So integrity, we'll talk about that in a second, but integrity, would I want my decision to be made public? That's a pretty good filter. Would I be embarrassed if somebody knew about the decision that I made? And generally, as in the story of Achan, um, a decision or action that I am inclined to bury, to cover up, to hide, to guard so that no one knows about it is the kind of decision that's not the right kind of decision, right? I mean, Achan hid a bunch of stuff under his tent because he knew it wasn't right. And he eventually got caught. And those things tend to unravel, tend to get found out, and it's not good when they do. So, the other filter, I would say, is number three, one of influence. And this is one Jesus just flat out gave us. Said, you need to think about this. Um, when you make decisions, when you make choices, the decision of influence. So, will this decision harm other people? How will it affect the people around me? I am not an island. We've talked about this. We are connected. And as a believer, I've got to think about other believers and I've got to think about people outside the family of faith as well. Um, Jesus, like I said, very clear. He said, and this is the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, in all the stuff you do, all the choices you make, uh, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. We learned that when we were little, didn't we? Do to others what you would have them do, what, what you would like for them to do to you. And then he says, this sums up the law and the prophets. Pretty good summary statement for all of the Old Testament right here. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. And now Paul is going to put it another way. Philippians chapter 2, the first three or four verses. Paul is going to say, consider the interests of others. In fact, Paul will say, consider those interests above your own when you're making decisions. Number four, glory. The last one I'm going to talk about tonight, glory. Will this decision bring honor to God? Um, in other words, kind of let's translate this. Will it draw people to God or push them away from God? And there are things, and unfortunately some of these end up on the news or getting circulated on Twitter or Facebook or something. There are things that believers do sometimes that throw mud on the bride of Christ kind of make God look bad and we want to avoid those kinds of decisions you know Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 31 so whether you eat or drink by the way I love that he picks something so mundane so ordinary he says look I'm not just talking about some huge spotlight moment where everyone's looking at you and you've got the microphone and what do you no you're eating, you're drinking, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. People 
are watching. People take notice. Will you lift God up? Will you bring God down? I know you can't bring God down. You're not holding him up, right? But people will make judgments about your faith, will make judgments about the church, will make judgments about the Lord based on you. We live in a fishbowl. Again, don't want to scare you too much. A lot of the decisions that you make each day, most of the decisions that you make each day, are kind of glory neutral. Are not going to sway things one way or the other. Whether you drive, you know, Preston Road to work or Hillcrest to work, that's not going to bring glory to God or dishonor to God. Uh, whether you part your hair to the left or on the right-hand side, not going to affect the glory of God. Uh, but you get the idea because each day there will, literally each day, there will be some decisions where the glory of God comes into play. Some moments that bring Him glory or bring you glory um, or even tarnish our witness for God in the world. So thankfully, this is a story with a reasonably happy ending. It goes poorly, 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 and then it has kind of a happy or a decent ending. I mean, Joshua, Israel, they're able to recover um, even though they did not inquire of the Lord and they made a pretty bad choice there. But they recover. They move forward. uh, And the Gibeonites, I mean, they would end up being blessed as well. I mean, Joshua says you're going to be cursed, but I mean, they're blessed in the sense they don't get wiped out. They're blessed in the sense that they get to live among God's people and see what it's like for people to live in relationship to God. Um, And over time, they're going to get a firsthand look at what this looks like, this life with God. So let's, uh, I think tonight, just the the call is to just kind of bring that up to the forefront of our minds. This idea of inquiring of the Lord of bringing him into our decisions. Let's, let's bow our heads. We'll, we'll sing here in just a second, but let's bow our heads. Father, it would seem weird to talk through this text and inquiring of the Lord and not talk to you. So we want to do that. And I just pray, Father, that you will give us wisdom in our walk that we can know the moments where we need to be, push the pause button, be a little more thoughtful, and not just introspective, but bring things to you. Ask for your wisdom, maybe consult a mature uh, sister or brother in the faith, dig into your word a little bit, think through how this decision might affect others around us, And we pray that your spirit will help us have eyes to see, not just physical eyes, but spiritual eyes, so that we can walk by faith. We are thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for our Redeemer, who does wash away our sins, who does allow us in remarkable ways to recover from our mistakes of the past and to find a path forward. And we just praise and worship him as our Savior and Redeemer. We pray this in His name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship.